Big data, real-time analytics, key performance metrics. Just a few of the tools that companies use to track performance, but not so often used in the spirit of either culture or work-life balance. Until now, that is. But is that a good thing? Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. So welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Brian here with my good buddy, John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. How do you like that new intro? New feel, new style. I, it feels nice. Feels, it feels uh, good. New year, new me, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, this might be the last. Is this the last recording for 2021? It might be. It, it might be. I do have a bone to pick with you, sir. What's that? You introduced something into my life that I am very worried is going to be a permanent fixture now. Oh, boy. What is it? So you know how YouTube likes to take whatever I search for and just give me nothing but that for the next ten years? Yeah, you're gonna you're still gonna be seeing results uh, well after well after you die. So as a backdrop, I'm always googling topics that you bring up that I'm otherwise not familiar with during the show, so I can at least know what's going on live. So my search history is chock full of John related searches. Fast forward. My daughter, my three-year-old tech wizard daughter, loves when I leave my phone somewhere that she can reach because she knows how to get to YouTube so she can put on cartoons. Well, thanks to you, John, instead of cartoons, the search history recommended ASMR videos. No. And she loves no. it, man. She no. loves it. It's it's this video. All it is is a it's a, a truck tire. That runs over things and they pop and crack and break. <laughs> she cannot get enough of it. It's like there's a little piggy bank. It goes piggy and smushes and she giggles with maniacal laughter oh, because adorable. of it. It's adorable until you hear it over and over because she'll watch this. It's, and it's not even just a five minute video. It loops. It never ends. It's like a live feed. And there's 500 other people on there watching it with her. And I know because it has the count and it's driving me insane. And thanks, John, for that. So it could be worse. It could be the ones that are like this. That would be so weird. That would be awful, right? But she actually does whisper like that. And I've ever told you about the uh, the really cre- bless her heart. She's the cutest kid, but she can be really creepy sometimes. And have I ever told you about the creepy hide and seek thing that she did? No, but this this sounds great. And and I just want to say that yeah, I've heard that all toddlers are somewhat sinister. So she was playing hide-and-seek with her mother, and it started out with her hiding and my wife finding her. Then she wanted mom to hide, and then she got the idea they could hide together. So at this point, they're both hiding behind this chair in her room, and my wife asks her, but if we're both hiding, who's going to find us? And this little, tiny, three-year-old child turns to her, wide-eyed and staring, and says, nobody will find us. <laughs> and it's so <laughs> creepy nightmare oh that's great i i love it yeah nobody will find us and i, I can actually transition that into the uh the topic of the day as well 
<laughs> oddly enough, um, nobody will find Alyssa for hide and seek, but nobody can run from corporate culture. Corporate culture isn't something that any of us can really get away from. Leadership may work hard to build a culture that aligns with their people's own goals and priorities, or they could create a culture that prioritizes profits and deprioritizes respect for their workforce, or they could choose to ignore completely and let the chips fall where they may. But whatever choice is made, even if no choice is made, this approach to corporate culture has a direct impact on you and me as we go about our day-to-day -day lives. If you've ever worked somewhere with a bad culture, then you understand how it can be a leading cause of poor performance and seasoned team members jumping ship. Not great news for employers or employees. Some other bad news? A lot of leaders are really good at tracking efficiency or revenue performance, but they are historically bad at tracking how employees feel about corporate culture. Some are trying to get better by analyzing culture the same way we track these other key metrics, but in an employment landscape where many of us often feel like cogs in a machine, overanalyzed already, what should we take away from all of this? Did you do any, did you read that, that article? I, saw, I know it was kind of a heavy article. I skimmed it. <laughs> skim That's good I enough. Feel like, I feel like I'm a kid who didn't do his homework. It's like, I was like, whoa, yeah, I'm going to skim this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was kind of a, a heavy article, and we're going we're gonna to try to break down some of it. But first and foremost, I want to ask you a personal question. When was the last time you did a self-evaluation? Probably the last performance review cycle, I guess, right? When was so the last year? When was the last time you did an honest self-evaluation at work? Oh, probably never. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't, and I think they're rarely effective because people just don't trust them. And they trust 360 reviews even less. And can you think of the last time you did one of those? Again, probably last performance review cycle. And to anticipate your next question, I don't think I've ever done that, honestly, either. Well done. A for honesty with that one, too. And next up, what are your thoughts on skip level meetings? And for anybody who doesn't know, uh, skip level is where you're talking about your boss to your boss's boss directly. Forget it. I, I, I don't think I've ever participated in one that's been honest and effective in any way. Yeah, and all of these responses you just gave, if I had to guess, I'd say, what, nine out of ten people listening are probably answering the same way you did. We all get these self-evals as part of our annual review cycle at work. You know, some of us also have to do these 360 reviews where we weigh in on our boss, too. And if you want that raise or promotion, you got to do one. And these skip-level meetings... I, I had never done them before my current company, and even our current uh, even our current company didn't do them until very recently. But I know they're very big at some orgs out there now. For the longest time, these are the three primary methods that a lot of companies use to try to gauge the temperature of the room when it comes to company culture. I'm not a fan of any of it. I'll give you an example of that anecdotally. Many years ago, when uh, when I had a bigger mouth and less sense than I have today. I worked for a fairly toxic organization, and longer-time listeners will remember me talking about this company from earlier episodes. We had this mandatory 360 review process that was in no way anonymous, right? Your boss could see what you specifically wrote, and some stats on your entries, like how much time you took to complete it. Now, I wasn't really all that interested in providing the feedback because, well, I'd never seen it go anywhere in the past, 
But my boss didn't take too kindly when he saw that I pretty much just straight fived across the board and finished in two minutes. He pulled me aside to essentially call me out for phoning it in, asking why I didn't answer honestly. My honest answer to him was because I don't see how it helps. At that point, he spent some time explaining the merits of the system, but the whole time I was thinking, I just gave you honest feedback that this process is broken, and you're angry about it, and you're brushing right over it. But you want me to stick my neck out there and tell you that the Emperor is wearing no clothes in written format? No, no, no thank you. And to this day, that's the whole problem I see. If employees feel like they can't be honest, that the best case scenario is they're unheard and the worst case is it could potentially hurt them. Why should they be honest? The only reason I would really get anywhere close to being honest on anything like that, it's because I know that my boss or somebody like that is looking for a specific type of feedback. When I have my one-on-ones with a boss or something like that, usually you don't go into these performance reviews blind. You know to some degree what the expectation is and what they're hoping to find. Now, eventually it gets escalated up from there. It goes to their boss, whatever, however the performance review cycle works. But the only reason I would be honest is because I know that the boss is looking for one specific item in there just to make sure I was paying attention. Yeah. So it's it's a check-the-box exercise. Well, let me ask you this, and I, I know you can't answer this about your current company. You probably wouldn't want to because it, you know, it might be a little bit salacious because um, you haven't worked there that long. But consider other jobs you've worked for any amount of time. Have you worked places where honest criticism was actually accepted and acted upon? I don't even know if it's the culture as much as my general gut check as as to whether that would be received or not. So I guess to answer your question, no, I've never worked for a company to where I felt that. And that, I will admit that may be a symptom of my own inability to give negative feedback to a superior or even a you know colleague or something like that. That might just be my thing. I don't know. I'm sure other people feel the same way, but I don't want to stir the pot or ruffle any feathers. But I guess that goes hand in hand with the fact that I don't feel comfortable sharing that. Well, and that's exactly the thing. I, I, I see a lot of frustration from management that, oh, nobody's taking these things seriously. They're not giving honest feedback. And my response to that is, as always, you're the guys making the rules, not the employee. So if they're in a situation where they don't feel quote unquote safe, they don't believe in that system in the first place is going to be helpful to them and can only hurt them. That's an environment that you created, not them. They're just playing by the rules that you put in place, right? So it's, I get a little bit chagrined when I hear about management being themselves chagrined that nobody takes this stuff seriously. And and I will, I will say that that might not be limited to specific companies or or things like that that's kind of what the corporate culture has created from organization to organization when people at the top move to other organizations they bring what they've learned in other places but on the whole this is just the general kind of feel of the way the current job market works i guess i don't know i don't know how i want to phrase that but do you, do you get what I'm saying? I, I do. I think even beyond job market, I think it's human nature. I think people don't like being wrong. And yeah. if I had to be honest, most people don't admit when they are. You know, for all the crap I give our sometimes co-host, Andy, the one thing I will say about Andy till the day I die, he's one of the very few people who can go from being a staunch believer of X 
being presented logical, factual reasons that's not true, and he'll change his opinion. He'll go in the opposite direction and be a staunch defender of why afterwards. I don't think I've met that many people outside of Andy who have ever been willing to do that. So if there's somebody who spent the last 40 years in this industry rising through the ranks to be a, a, a leader of a company, you're going to tell me I'm wrong about something? Of course I'm going to throw you aside and, and take that person because I've had 40 years doing this. Who are you to tell me I'm not doing it right and you think differently? So I don't even think it's necessarily a corporate thing. I think it's just a people thing. I think I think you're absolutely right. And to really echo your comment about Andy, that is a a noble quality to have because not many people are willing to be flexible in their beliefs when they're presented with evidence that is you know contrary to what they've already established as their right. pre-held beliefs but getting back to the idea of reviews and and full honest feedback the one other thing i wanted to say going back to the idea of these skip level meetings and i don't normally talk about my company on this show i, I don't think anybody from the uh the company listens to it I guess in case they do, I try to be cautious, but I, I will say one thing. Prove us wrong. Prove it. Yeah, prove me prove me wrong. Get me fired tomorrow. Show yourself. Um, we yeah. We just had a skip level meeting a couple days ago. Actually, no, it was a week ago. I don't remember how long it was ago. I, I don't remember how long it was ago because I couldn't make it. I was actually triple booked uh in that time span. So I wasn't there. A couple people on my team weren't there because they were on vacation. My final teammate, who is in the UK, wasn't in a time zone place that it made sense for her to attend either. So out of our entire team in this skip level meeting, none of us were there. And I have to think, if you're trying to use these skip levels to show that employees are being heard, and you schedule at a time when none of the employees can be there, doesn't that send a message too that maybe what you think isn't that valuable? This isn't necessarily a like for like, but it's the idea of when you're in person, you can pick up on social cues. That would be an instance of somebody having really no ability to read a room. I guess to be fair, that's a good point that you can't read a room if you're not in the same room. I, I'm not even saying against what you're saying. I'm. Saying, it's like, wow, well, way to not read a room well or read a room oh, right. Yeah. 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 Well, all these things together, it's, it's kind of hard to feel like your feedback is important. Your feedback does matter. If these systems we have to collect it, and I'm going to call them ancient outdated systems to even begin with, never really seem to result in anything, you know, to your point, And I, I think I agree. I can't think of that many change. And I'm just talking about my company now any company I've worked for, I can't think of that many times management has sought out reviews or ideas about how to change things and actually had them follow through, which is, I think, a shame because your frontline workers are the ones that are closest to your clients, closest to the products that you're selling. They know where the company should go from a vision perspective at the three-foot level that when you're spending all your time at the 30,000 feet, you might not even see anymore. The idea that a company doesn't want to take feedback. Sometimes I'm curious if in their mind, it's already made up that if they're not saying what we want them to say, or they're not saying what we're expecting, or they don't fit, it's not us, it's them. They don't fit into the company culture, or they're just not cut out for this role. And I think there is a fine line because there is a little bit of truth there because sometimes those people in some of those, you know, ground level positions there Sometimes it, it isn't the right fit for them, and it is kind of a balancing act for, for management at times. Not to say that we're a pro-management pod, we're, 
we're just a pro people pod. So, you know, it's it's a tough balance and it's a balancing act for sure. But that being said, I don't want to discount anyone else's perspective either. I'd like to think that if an org chooses to hire and retain a certain individual, it's because they see value in that individual's abilities and hopefully opinions. So why not capitalize on that value as much as possible, right? Yeah. Now, this whole idea of getting employee feedback is changing. A lot of companies don't really have a choice to do otherwise. As far as the job market goes, applicants have a lot of power. You know, we've talked about that plenty of times here before. You need to keep your key players happy because it's pretty easy these days for top talent to jump ship. And if there's ever a time for management to, you know, really get that ship in Bristol fashion, today is that day. But that doesn't stop some companies from trying to do it in really creepy ways. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to go into a Harvard Business Review article that digs into an, I guess, interesting direction that some companies are going. Now, I found an article in the Harvard Business Review that I wanted to spend this episode talking about, and it's on researching new methods of assessing cultural fit. And I'm going to pull out a little quote here that just sounds real highfalutin, and I love it for that. We used big data processing to mine the ubiquitous digital traces of culture in electronic communications. You can read that as, they basically monitored and analyzed employee emails and chats. And they looked at the language people were using when communicating with each other to determine whether they had a beneficial or detrimental impact to team performance and how 1984 Big Brother does that sound? Disgusting. It, I, right? I don't like it. No. And it actually gets worse than that, too. They partnered with Glassdoor to scrape past employer reviews to do further analysis on language. And that's concerning to me, not least of which because they're potentially taking these reviews which are meant to really help future applicants steer clear of bad companies and weaponizing it against current staff by trying to pattern match language. What do you think of that? Is this an all-out uh, recon on employees and not just what they say, but what they think by going to Glassdoor and scraping that too? Every day, it feels like we're getting closer and closer to a reality that was envisioned or designed by the creators of Black Mirror. Right? It just... Yeah. Soon we're gonna we're gonna get like uh, I, I I rue the day. I, I'm I'm not looking forward to the day where I get a message about hey I see you're cursing a lot in your chats to your coworkers. Do we have an issue we have to talk about? And I know it could come to that. And actually, cursing is one of the things that they try to to detect patterns in in these uh, in these discussions. So it's happening now. I think we touched on this just briefly in a previous episode, but. I think there's some figure out there that it's somewhat close to 60% of organizations right now admit to having some type of monitoring system on company property or company laptops. And I was actually, frankly, a little surprised that number is not higher. But this is speaking to exactly just that, Brian. Yeah, it is. And that's the episode that me, you, and Andy were all together. And one of the things that I think Andy was a bit surprised about was that 
companies can even do that. And resoundingly, and you mentioned to him, companies have the absolute right to put software on their own tech property. So if you have a company laptop, company phone, I would go ahead and assume that there is some kind of software on there that could track you because nothing's stopping them from doing it. And by the sounds of this article I read, plenty of companies are trying to use this to understand their own people better. Now, understanding people better is one thing, but again, weaponizing it against employees as an employee, I'd be a bit concerned about that. I am a bit concerned about that because I am an employee, right? And there's no way you can measure company culture. And just getting at it that way just seems like such a robotic way of measuring the human condition. <laughs> you know, it's it's the idea of Zuckerberg being a robot, right? And trying to figure out how to do, to program emotions. Right. And I don't know if we want to... <laughs> fight that battle <laughs> so you might want to take the Zuckerberg comment out so sorry no but it, it's true it's if well, let's let's put it this way if the culture you have people feel like they're cogs in a machine how are you going to respond to that by doing things that treat them like cogs in a machine right that seems like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or a downward spiral right we need to measure profitability based on the hours we spend. We need to track your hours. I hate hours tracking. I'm bad at my hours tracking. And I work in consulting where I get that hours tracking is critical when we build clients on how many hours we work. But our company takes it very far to the point of, well, we're just going to track everything. You know, I'm writing a blog post uh, or a white paper. Let's track those hours. Well, why? I don't really see the point of that. I digress. I'm going to mark down the two minutes I used to blow my nose. Right, exactly. I, you know, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Relying on time tracking software and employee-driven reporting to know what your people are doing as a people manager, to me, feels like saying, oh, I manage people like I ride a bike with training wheels. Well, are you really riding a bike then? Because that's what I see these programs as a lot of times is training wheels. As a people leader... You should know what I'm working on if you're my boss. You should know what projects I have that are critical. And if you need a time tracking program to tell you those things, well, how out of touch are you with the, the products and services and customers we have? Good example I can give. Your boss reaches out to you and says, hey, I should know this, but what's the forecast looking on this client or things like that? That's one thing. It's completely different to not know what clients you're working right. on. All that aside and all creepiness of this Harvard Business Review article aside, I did get some interesting takeaways. I want to talk about them a bit more. I don't know if it's going to get too heavy or not, so I might not. It's, I just geek out over it. It was an interesting, interesting topic. Geek away. All right. So there are a few terms that I thought were very interesting in this article that I wanted to go over. Uh, two two basic concepts, and the first is one of fit versus adaptability from a cultural standpoint. And what do both of those mean? Well, just to define them first, fit is how well we align to values today. So typically we measure during uh, the hiring process, maybe not much after, how well a candidate would fit into our corporate culture versus adaptability, which is as our culture shifts, and they invariably do, how well does somebody do shifting along with it? Now, these play into our lives in a few ways. First, if we have good fit and good adaptability, those are the people who are typically very happy at their jobs and are the ones who rise through the ranks with promotions and raises. If we have good fit, 
good enough to get hired, but we have bad adaptability, those are the people that leave either by choice or we get shown the door. Now, what does this mean to us? My big takeaway is treat shifts in culture as a massive red flag by default. That's not to sound pessimistic, but adaptability only comes into play when a culture changes and you can never count on a culture change being beneficial to you. Now, all that's kind of a lot to take in. So I want to take a step back with an example I think a lot of people should be familiar with. Okay, so let's talk about mergers and acquisitions. If your company buys another company, there's a pretty good chance your culture is about to shift. If your company is the one bought, I'd say there's probably about 100% chance your culture is going to shift. Now, that might be a good change, might not be, but we really can't know in advance. The only thing we do know, the only power you as an employee ever have when it comes to choosing your culture is when you take a job. Then and only then is when you have a chance to really evaluate a company and their culture before you sign on. If it's a good fit for you, you take the job. If it isn't, you don't. But when culture shifts happen in a current job, well, you don't have that power. You accept it as long as you stay there. So the key difference here is one of choosing to be proactive or just being reactive. Now, what was that movie came out like, I guess like 10 years ago about counting cards? You know what I'm talking about? 21 starring Jim Sturgis and Kevin Spacey. Do you remember the scene when the kid first joins Kevin Spacey's team? I don't remember the actual character names. And he's given a problem where there are three hypothetical doors behind one is a new car and the other two are empty. Remember that? And I say, and I say, thank you for the extra thirty-three and a third percent. And I take the door. Yeah, I, I, I love that movie. I read that book and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a hypothetical scenario called the Monty Hall problem. And once the contestant makes their choice, the host then reveals that one of the two remaining doors is, in fact, also empty, and asks the contestant if they now want to change their choice to one of the two other doors. The answer which you stole my thunder by alluding to, John, is that you should always change your choice. Choose one of the other two doors. This was put forth by a parade columnist back in the 90s named Marilyn Vassavant. And a lot of people flat out refused to believe that switching doors would actually result in better odds. And that includes a lot of PhDs and mathematicians and just general eggheads, right? But the stats prove it out. You run that simulation 10,000 times with 10,000 sets of doors, it will demonstrate very concretely that you should make that change. Yeah, and that's one of those theoretical or mathematical discussions that, to your point, it doesn't feel like it should make sense. And to me, it still doesn't. I can't really wrap my mind around why that makes sense because there's that human emotion in me that's like, no, I'm sticking with my choice because that's what I picked, you know? And, and that's definitely not always right. Now, what does any of this have to do with changing jobs? When it comes to making choices, we inherently do a couple stupid things. First, we dig into the status quo and feel more comfortable not moving. I chose my door and I'm staying with that door. Second, we tend to believe things we think are logical when they really aren't. We just tell ourselves something that makes the most sense, so we're going to call it logical. So to draw the parallels here with a very thick black line, if you see a culture shift happening in your office, your first reaction might be to ignore it and take comfort in whatever status quo remains that you can wrap your arms around. 
And then you start to rationalize those changes as they take place, telling yourself, oh, there's some consistent logic to this shift, and it all makes sense from the corporate standpoint. And that's where you get into trouble. And sooner or later, you find yourself in a culture that does not fit you. So instead, play the odds. When you're presented with new information about the culture you exist in, act upon it. Do yourself a favor of at least checking the job market out. Right? If the culture is going to shift regardless, why not take a proactive part in picking it? And in this case, picking it means at a new job. For those who don't know, Monty Hall was the host for Let's Make a Deal, which is why it's called the Monty Hall Problem. Yeah, and I would encourage anybody to, to look up that problem. There's a ton of simulators online that you can go and try this just to, to see this math in action that by all means does not make sense to my brain either, but uh, definitely works and, and has some internal consistency. So yeah, if you have 10 minutes to kill, go ahead and search for that and try it out. So this is about the time in the show where we switch and start talking about solutions. So I don't know, John, what, what kind of solutions do we have here? Find out our culture shifting and we're not really prepared for it. I wish I could tell you. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot, so I was hoping you had something. <laughs> but Brian, I think you touched on it earlier. We have the ability to kind of be the makers of our own will and dictate our future. And if you feel that a culture shift is occurring, then might be the time to consider what are the most important tenets of that company culture. And if you start to see them really move away from that, that's when you need to have serious considerations and conversations with yourself about if it's time to move on. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had more of a strategy for this episode than I do, but yeah, I think that's about all that we can even say on this topic. And to just reiterate, it's, it's reactive, which, which sucks, but what can you do? Yeah. And, and just to reiterate what I had said earlier, Look, a change in your culture could be good. It could be bad. The simple fact is you don't know and you can't know until honestly it's too late. So the only way you can be sure that a culture change is going to be in your favor is if it's a culture change to a new company after you vetted it in the hiring process and decide that it works for you proactively rather than waiting around reactively to see what kind of comes out in the wash. And it is kind of cliche, but... Trust your gut if a culture shift is happening or you feel that one's occurring. If you think something's not right or it doesn't feel like it's heading in the direction that you want to go, odds are likely you're probably right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. And thank you for stopping by to hear about a problem we have no actual solutions for. And sorry about that. Man, that's turning into a trend. We, we initially set out to help us figure out life's problems and find better work-life balance. But I think all we're doing is just creating existential crises for all of our listeners. Are we aiming too high? Should we, should we tone down our, our content? Are your shoes untied? Go get Velcro. That's that's the solution. Yeah, episode. we probably have a better shot at being more effective that way. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time. Disgusting. It I I don't like it.